We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. Noon, Mercy Culture. My name is Clay. I'm a pastor here. This is my wife, Lindsay, on the front row. She's also a pastor here. We're going to be pastoring our Dallas campus. Let's go. There's actually a booth that's going to be out in MC Central after this if you want to learn more about Dallas. If you've been in denial and you know that the Lord's speaking to you, but you just haven't said yes yet, disobedience is what it is. Uh, No, I'm joking. I'm kidding. We haven't even launched yet. We haven't even launched yet. I'm kidding. But come visit the booth. You can text Dallas to 59090. We have our next interest meeting. We do our interest meetings the last Sunday of every month, which I believe is the 30th location to be determined. We've been in a different spot each time, taking territory in the city. We actually launch in October. It's going to be fun. The vision of Mercy Culture Church is to take people from... Some of you seemed annoyed when you said that. (laughs) We say it a lot, and I get it. Like, I know you can still believe it, but because you say it so much, it can come out, the the vision of mercy cults. But it's everything. This is beautiful. The presence of God is beautiful, but this table was prepared for you before you came in here. The invitation, the reason Jesus died on the cross is that so he could, so that you could be intimate with him and come into the holy place with him. And that's what we do here at Mercy Culture from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. Who here has been through MC Connects? This is our membership process. You you take an assessment, you answer some questions, and then it generates some different different ways that you connect with God. It's not an end-all, be-all, but it brings some language to some things, and it helps you... um, in your encounter with God, enter into his presence. So if you've been coming to Mercy Culture for a long time now and you feel like this is your house, these are your people, it's time. It's time to, uh, to take MC Connect and come through the membership process. Lots of firsts for me here at Mercy Culture. I got to, a few months ago, preach for you guys for the first time, preach for my first time. I remember there was a specific moment at a prayer night over there in that corner I danced before the Lord for the first time. And I know some of you were like, what? I, was a, I grew up a Baptist. I still kind of am a Baptist in some ways. But I grew up Baptist, and that's just not something that we did. But I danced before the Lord right over there. And then there was a time where I danced before the Lord in front of you guys for the first time. And I had another first about two weeks ago. I did my first wedding. I officiated my first wedding on a mountain in Colorado. Okay. It was surprisingly more complex than I had imagined because you're talking and it's like I'm talking to these people, I'm talking to those people, these people, those people, those people, these people, and it was just a lot, but I thought I killed it. I felt the presence of God come upon me. I was operating in the anointing, and I go and talk to my wife, and she's like, uh, hey, when were you supposed to do the I do part? And I was like, oh, I missed it. I missed the vows. I was texting Pastor Landon afterwards, and he was like, you know they're not married, right? 
But it was good. We were at a, their reception at a restaurant afterwards and they were sitting down and I was like, hey, are y'all, y'all do, right? You do, you do, you good? I'm good if you guys are good. So it was good. You don't need me to officiate your wedding. Someone else can do a better job. If you want my notes, you can text 59090, text notes to 59090. Who's ready? I like it. I like that enthusiasm. Matthew 26, 38, this is Jesus speaking in the Garden of Gethsemane. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. In the book of Luke, it actually accounts that he was bleeding from his pores because of the anguish and stress that he was in. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. Skip down to verse 42. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man, betrayed into the, the, Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Today I came to tell you that your prayer life is the foundation of your connection with God. The title of today's message is Summer of Prayer, Knowing God Through Prayer. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we thank you for meeting with us. Spirit of God, we abandon our agenda for you. God, lead me with your anointing. The soil has been tilled. Now, God, I pray that your sons and daughters would receive the word. I come against distractions. And God, would you just open us to what you have? We submit and we yield to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I felt as we were worshiping that uh, Pastor Vanessa mentioned it, but there is a specific anointing that the Lord is pouring out today. And I'm not saying today is better than any other day, but the reality is, is that the past is gone. This is a new day. His mercies are new today. And so I want you to set aside even everything, just any mold that even we're in as mercy culture. It's like we're here today and, and God wants to pour something out fresh. And don't go into tomorrow. We don't have to worry about tomorrow, just today. So God wants to do something specific. There's a specific outpouring that he wants for today. So posture yourselves to receive that. The word of the year is dunamis. Dunamis is when the Holy Spirit's power goes from resting on you to abiding and dwelling in you. This is the summer of prayer. Uh, Pastor Corey Russell kicked it off with the, the throne is the groan. The groan is the throne. One of those. It was amazing. Go back and listen to it. Pastor Heather preached on guerrilla warfare prayer. We have Pastor Jasmine last week, presence-driven prayer. It was incredible. I will say, Pastor Jasmine, that sometimes I desire that I could be so much more effective if I could just get up here and start singing. <laughs> it's not going to happen. That's her, and that's not what I do. But I love it when she does that. I just feel the presence of God come into the room. Prayer is an interesting thing. It's something that we do. 
And to be honest with you, as, I'm, as I was asked to prepare a sermon on prayer after three ama- amazing ministers have already taught you on prayer, it's kind of a challenge. I was sitting right there on the front row where Mr. Charlie Pryor's sitting, and I just was like, well, there goes that verse. Just, just taking my plan and just marking things off because Pastor Jasmine already like went through it. But there's so many different ideas of, of, of what is prayer, what does it look like? And it's one of those, when being a, being a pastor and people that didn't know me before this role, you know, it's like there's been moments where we've been out to eat with people, people have prepared dinners for us, and it's almost like maybe they feel a temptation to like pray extra hard over this dinner prayer because like we're, they're entertaining pastors or something. You don't have to be like that. And, and the, the amazing meal is sitting in front of us and they're just going on and on and on. I'm not against it. God's not against it. Actually, I would say it's a theological debate here at Mercy Culture. Are we supposed to pray for dinner or not? Do we ask God to bless dinner? Is that even theological? I don't know. I'm not here to talk to you about that today. My daughter, my youngest daughter, she's six, and when she prays, she goes through her list, but one thing that she always says is, God, I pray that angels would be on every single corner of our roof, and Jesus, I pray that you would sit down on top of our house. And I love that. Like, I love that that's her, like, spiritually, that's what she's envisioning when she lays down to sleep at night. I can remember the dinner prayers that my father would pray before every dinner. Bless this food into the needs and nourishments of our body. It was like this thing. It's just something that we do and that we're supposed to do as Christians. But I really want you guys to engage the heart of what this summer is about. I believe that the Lord wants to shift your trajectory because we're catching something new. Old molds molds are going to be broken. We're going to learn how to pray differently. Some of you have been in this thing for a long time. Maybe you've been an intercessor for 30 years. The Lord wants to bring you to a next level of glory. He wants you to learn to pray differently. The prophetic word, the specific part of the prophetic word of dunamis about prayer is this. We will fortify through prayer. This is a year where we will all pray. Prayer will not be work this year. Prayer will not be hard this year. There will be a grace on prayer. Receive this. Prayer will be joyful. Prayer will be fun. We will engage in guerrilla warfare prayer. Prayer will break out in different times all over the church and all over the city. I was up here trading cars at about 11 o'clock the other night, and there were two SLS students just walking around the parking lot. I was like, what are these guys doing? And they come up, and they're like, hey, Pastor Clay. It's like, what are y'all doing? He's like, oh, we're just praying. Awesome. Do that. Keep stewarding. Prayer will break out in different times all over the church and all over the city. I see prayer walks that are sporadic and radical. And the enemy did not see it coming because it came from so many different places and people. You will speak in tongues. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What would the Lord do if we actually prayed? I know you're praying, but what if we really embrace this and prayed. I'm not just talking about here corporately. I'm not talking about when we have our prayer night. Yes, to all of that. Come to it. But you personally, what if you engaged and prayed? What if thousands of families at Mercy Culture and the people that watch online got together in unity and started praying into things? What would God do? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. You are ambassadors. 
The definition of an ambassador is, is, is an accredited, officially recognized or authorized diplomat sent by God to a country as its official representation to another country. We are the ambassadors of Christ. And then it says that as though God is making an appeal through us. An appeal is an application to a higher court for the reversal of a decision. That's what God wants us to engage with when we pray. We partner as sons and daughters, and he uses us to reverse decisions. Think of Roe versus Wade being overturned. Sons and daughters of God saw an injustice, and they begin to pray for years, and the decision was reversed. I love it in Scripture. God also changes his mind sometimes as well. So in Exodus chapter 32, the, the people have just come out of, out, of, out of slavery. They've crossed, the sea is parted. They cross through. They're in the wilderness. Moses is going up to meet with God. And the people at the base camp, they're starting to get these ideas of forming their own gods. And God is talking to Moses, Exodus 32, verse 9 and 10. It says, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. He's like, Moses, let me just clear the path for you, make this a lot easier. I'm going to get rid of them, and then we'll go after the promise. And Moses turns to God in verse 12. It says, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. And then in verse 14, it says, and the Lord relented. It's been a fascination of mine. Like, can we really influence the hand of God, the timeline of God, the agenda of God? Could a group of people at Mercy Culture, a group of wild people at Mercy Culture, change a city for God, a state for God, a nation for God. The enemy does not want us to know this. He doesn't want us to be aware of this reality that we sit under. I love the scripture of Jesus turning water into wine. I've been fascinated for probably about three years now. This is in John chapter 2. When the wine ran out, they're at a wedding ceremony. The wine ran out, Jesus' mom presents the problem to Jesus. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, mom, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Like, mom, we talked about this. I've already told you, you know when my hour is going to be. This is clearly not it. And mom's like, I'm just giving you my problem. And then he turns to the, then Mary turns to the attendants and is like, hey, Whatever he says to do, just do it. And Jesus does it. Like, that's a big deal. There was another time point. I don't know when it would have been. Would it have been three months, six months from that point? But Jesus shifts his timeline because Mary presented a request. Some of you are saying, Clay, we're talking about prayer. That's not prayer. Maybe, but you have a person that's talking to Jesus. It actually changes your perspective when you start to look through the lens of people dialoguing with Jesus, humans dialoguing with God, and, and use that as a frame of reference for your prayer life. It makes me feel good sometimes when I see all the boneheaded things that like the disciples would say. <laughs> prayer changes things. James 4.2, the part of this verse that you've heard before is you do not have because you do not ask. 
So what God is saying is that there's things that are in existence because you asked for it. There's things that are not yet in existence because you have not asked for it yet. That's powerful. This is the authority you walk in underneath the blood of Jesus. This is what we get access to in our intimacy with Jesus. I want to give you a litmus, litmus test for, for prayer. So here's the, here's the scenario. You're going home after this. You're, you're going to be sitting on your couch. Jesus appears in front of you. And he says, Robbie Foster, I am going to give you everything that you've prayed for over the last 48 hours when I count to three right now. One, two, three. What did you get? What came into it existence? For a lot of you, nothing. <laughs> You're like, I, I don't know. For some of you, you just got your house. You got that new ride you've been praying for. Our intercessors in the house, there's like crazy things going on. Amazing, crazy things. I joke, but God wants us to be intentional with our prayers. And this is convicting to me because sometimes I'm not intentional. Like I pray, like I spend time with the Lord, but what am I actually asking for? Do I even put it on the front of my mind when I'm, when I'm entering into his presence and engaging? Like am I, am I going after prayer? So why don't we pray more? If the prophetic word is prayer is going to be easy, prayer is going to be joyful, why does it feel hard sometimes? I want to give you five things that can hinder you, that can hinder your prayer life, and then some practical tips within those. Number one, your prayer life is hindered, 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 not hindered, it's hindered because you are impatient. You want it right now. God, I said a prayer to you. It took like four seconds, two days ago. Why haven't you answered me yet? I encourage you guys to go and read Hebrews chapter 11. This is what some call the hall of faith, and it lists all the, the greats of the Old Testament, by faith, Moses, by faith, and just lists all these accolades. And then in verse 39, it says, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Not completely encouraging, but we're to learn to wait on the Lord. Prayer is sowing and reaping. You are who you are today because of the choices of yesterday. This is, and don't hear what I'm not saying. God is so good. His mercies are new today. You can turn towards him. He'll change everything. But there is a reality that you came in here today either having a good day, you're down spiritually because something happened yesterday. Physically, this is true as well. If I eat Tillamook vanilla bean ice cream with a shot of espresso over it, some call that an affogato, every single night before I go to bed, this thing starts to look different. And I speak out of experience. The Lord has convicted my heart. I've brought this down to about two times a week. He hadn't asked for it completely. I'm just here to obey. Some practical, practical advice. Quit looking only for the result and let your satisfaction and contentment be in the sowing. Get comfortable with waiting. Are you able to wait on the Lord? Here's what I feel like we need to redefine a good day. Because if you get focused on the answers and the outcomes, because we're told not to worry about that, 
We'll get to that in a little bit. But if, you, if you're focused on that, you can get discontent today. But if we're content in the sowing, then here's what, it, here's what a good day looks like. I wake up, I spend time with the Lord, I encounter his presence, I pray, I go to work, I do whatever you guys do. I come home at night, I take my phone, I lay it down, I engage my wife and my children intentionally. I don't tell them I love them, I show them. That's a good day. That's a good day of sowing. The Lord will, there will be a harvest, but you have to learn to be patient in the waiting. Your prayer life is hindered because you are distracted. This is number two. Matthew 26, 41 says, Be alert and pray continually that you might not fall into temptation. Although the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. So the, the reason I want to point the scripture out is because, so first off, it's not talking about big S spirit. It's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about little s. Like the spirit inside of you, the part of you where God resides is willing. There's something in all of us, like, I think we would all raise our hands and be like, yes, I want to engage the Lord intimately. I want to become more engaged in prayer. But it says, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Say, my flesh is weak. Remind yourself of that every single day. My flesh is weak, so I need to be alert and pray continually. Practical advice, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God, put it on every day. The first part of the scripture Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. This is the place where we receive strength and might from the Lord. Skipping down to verse 18, after putting on the spiritual armor of God, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit. If you have a, if you have a prayer language, use it. If you don't have a prayer language, ask God for it. I feel like the Lord's going to surprise some people with their heavenly language. I'm a, I grew up Baptist. I learned that there is a Holy Spirit, which is crazy. And, and God surprised me in a Baptist worship service, and he gave me my prayer language. It was five syllables. It was like this random thing that was not of me. I'm sitting beside people in this little sanctuary, and I'm, I just, I'm kind of like, just like saying these words to myself, and I'm like, does he, like, is this normal? But he just, he just surprised me with it, and I just feel like the Lord is going to surprise you. If you want it, eagerly desire it, and he's a good father, and he gives gifts, so ask him for it. Sorry, I got lost here. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert. There's the phrase again, be alert, pray continually. He says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So you're supposed to be putting on your armor, being alert, praying to God, and also praying for other people. Practical advice, get people to pray for you. It doesn't have to, you don't have to find the most powerful intercessor. Just get three people that love the Lord and say, hey, will you three make it a point to pray for me three times a day, three times a week, or three times a day? That'd be great. And I'm going to do the same for you, but you need people praying for you. Number three, your prayer life is hindered because of your pride. You think you know everything. I'm speaking to everyone, but I'm going to dial in on like the 
18 to 28 year olds. And I'm just speaking to my past self because there was a time in the past where I knew so much more about everything than I do right now. Like literally, I went to Texas Tech University. I was a business major and I'm, my plan was laid out in front of me. I do these things, I graduate, I will enter corporate America, be making this much. Within six months, I'll be making this much. Here's my plans to six figures. I'm gonna marry a smoking hot wife, got it. I'm, yeah. uh, and then everything's gonna be good. But God's so good. He's so gentle in introducing humility to our lives. Phase one of the equation is get married. Marriage is great, but, but you figure out that like, whoa, I don't know how to do this. Maybe I do need to think about this prayer thing a little bit more. Phase two, have a child. If you're Ben Meckle, have another child and another child and another child and another child. I'm being silly, but there was a legitimate time, and this is something that happens in our society because we have so much. Like there really is, like we have coffee shops with beautiful atmospheres so we can go in and get my fresh cup of coffee and just feel, when was this roasted? How long ago was this roasted? We have all these things that are nice, that feel good to the flesh. And there can almost be this persuasion that like, I don't really need prayer. So ask yourself, do you actually need prayer? Like, would you say with your life situation, some of you are like, yes, I need prayer, I'm falling apart. But others of you have built a nice little kingdom around yourself of, of safety and comfort and satisfaction. There's not a lot of faith involved and you really don't need prayer. So do you need prayer? Do you actually believe that you need prayer? Number four, your prayer life is hindered because you're carrying wounds from prayers God did not answer. Things didn't work out like you thought they were gonna work out. I experienced this um, right before I came on staff at Mercy Culture, I was working for a company. Long story short, this is a disinfecting company global pandemic hit, if you guys weren't aware, in 2020. And this little company that I'm overseeing goes from little to large. Like, Robbie worked for this company. We're providing units to the White House, like the Department of Defense is calling us. Like, we don't even have enough capacity to take orders. Like, it was wild, so what do we do? We try to sell the company and make some money. My, my buddy and his father, their owners, and then I have ownership in this company, and we put, we put a book together, which just means kind of like you put a house on the MLS, you, you get with investment bankers, and they put it out into the world, people look at the company, and then somebody will buy you, hopefully compete for you, and then buy you. We had every bu big buyer in the world that you could think of. Clorox, SC Johnson, Ryobi, like a dozen companies are fighting for us. Our investment bankers are saying, you could go anywhere from 500 million to maybe even upwards towards a billion because of the amount of volume that we were doing. And I have a percentage of this company, so I'm like, Lord, like if this thing just goes for 100 million, like I'm good. Give me a few million bucks and let's go. Lindsay and I are already looking at houses. Like we legit, everybody at this company, we're praying into it. I am convinced that this transaction is going to happen. And it's our redemption story and it's gonna be beautiful, and God's gonna bless us in this way, and we're just gonna ride off into the sunset, I can donate my time to ministry, and then one by one, the buyers start backing out. It doesn't happen. 
And then I come to a meeting here at Mercy Culture with Pastor Ryan and Pastor Abe. And Pastor Abe says, hey, we want you to pray on coming on staff at Mercy Culture. And I'm like, okay, I'll pray about that. God, like, what are you doing? Like, I thought I was going to make millions of dollars. I can donate millions of dollars to Mercy Culture. And then I can be the kingdom business guy. I can come and partake in the presence of God. Pastor Isaac can do all the ministry. And I just get to get everything. His ways are not our ways. I'm talking about money, but some of you have, have engaged hard things that are, that are so much harder. The death of loved ones. Children have been lost. What do you do when you've been praying for those things? And the answer doesn't come like you thought it was going to come. I'm so fascinated. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but that would but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Come on. Altar call has started. <laughs> Let's go. Who else? What? Oh, he's getting a Kleenex. Okay. Uh, that's amazing. I was sitting right there where Pastor Bob is, and this little kid just fast, just took off that way, and I just started running, and then he fell down, and I almost fell down. But uh, anyways, we embrace that here at Mercy Culture. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's a reality to this. The unseen reality of God is more real than the chair you're sitting in right now. I love the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're friends of Jesus. Lazarus dies, Jesus... Jesus will raise him from the, the dead. Go back and listen to Pastor Corey Russell's message. It's beautiful on this story. But the part that fascinates me about the scripture is Jesus, you know, they're saying, Jesus, we need you to come. Like, he's about to die. Like, we need you to get over here. And Jesus says, this will not end in death. If I'm in that crowd of people following Jesus, Jesus says this. This, this guy's doing all these things, and he makes this statement, and then I'm looking over here, and it's like, Lazarus died. I'd be like, what, what are we doing here, Jesus? Jesus was perfectly anchored to spiritual realities. He was perfectly anchored to that which was unseen. We're to be perfectly anchored to that. We're, we're to be like this. I know we're in the natural, and we have... We have all these physical hungers and cravings, and there's, there's responsibilities and things that we have to do. But there is an unseen reality that, that trumps everything. Number five, your prayer life is hindered because of fear. You're afraid of the answer. And this usually pertains to the things that are going well. And so when I say you're afraid of the answer, what I'm asking you, are there specific areas of your life that it's like, God, that's a good thing. Like, I don't really feel like I'm supposed to, I'm not going to bring that into my prayer closet and ask you about it because I don't want you to take it. Um, I don't want you to ask me to lay it down. But you're afraid of the answer. God will always ask for your Isaac, not your Ishmael. And I feel like there's this thing, and I'm talking to me, because I function like this. The Lord is convicting me of it as I was preparing for this, of like, I go big right now. I'm young. I give big. 
I take big steps of faith and all these amazing things are going to happen. It's all going to come back to me. But, but my mindset is as if I'm going to get to this place where it's easier. There's less tension. We were doing dinner with a couple um, a few weeks ago and they moved here from the Pacific Northwest and, you know, awesome story of faith, like sold their stuff, moved here, bought a house, don't know anybody, come to Mercy Culture, start a business, God starts blessing the business, now God's asking them to lay down their business. And it's like, when does this end? So I just want to be honest with you and let you know that that doesn't end. As long as you're walking in faith, the Lord is going to be adding unto you and he's going to be asking you to lay things down. So get comfortable with that tension. Hindrances from your prayer life. I want to go over to the other, the other end of the spectrum. This is Matthew 7, 21. Actually, I'll start in verse 22. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. We're talking about charismatics here, people. That verse just hits me. Like, what does it mean? He says, I never knew you. The key and the point here is what does it mean to know God? You can engage in ministry activity. And according to the scripture, there's even outcomes from that ministry activity, the prayers that you pray, the deliverance that you see, the healings that you see. But yet we, he's, we, can, get, we can partake in that and participate in that and get to him, and he says, I never knew you. The fear of the Lord just rests on that, and that's something that I always want people to be wrestling with. I don't want to be surprised. I just want to say it. I'm going to give you some, some points but that's something that I pray that you go into your prayer closet and you wrestle with. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom, whom you have sent. There it is again, know you. What does it mean to know, good, know God? So we're talking about prayer. I want us to look at the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to go into the detail of the Lord's Prayer, but I want to look at the context of it because it tells us a lot. Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest sermon ever preached. I believe it's Matthew 5 through 7. Go back and read it. But right in the middle of it, he says, here's how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the prayer. It's an outline that he gives us. But the context of this prayer is beautiful. There's so much around it. And when I was reading it, it's right here. There's so much before it. There's so much after it. And when you pray pay attention to the pretext and the post-text, it gives you amazing revelation. I believe it gives me revelation into what it means to know God. And so I want to go over some of these points. 
So I want to give you four characteristics of a person that knows God. Four characteristics of the prayer life of a person that knows God. Characteristic number one of a person that knows God is you know the secret place is the most important place. You will give time to the things that are most important to you. So with your personal encounters, does it, does it get your best or does it get what's left? Like if you stay up late, like I was binging on Netflix and I was just dialed into this series and I went to bed at 1230 and for me to wake up at five and do my thing like I usually do, like it would have, it would have made me tired the rest of the day. Jesus... I'm not saying Jesus wasn't intentional, but even his ministry, he would be going and things would just happen. People would come down from a roof. Somebody would pull on his garments. But the thing that he was extremely intentional about is going and praying with his father. It says that he, he went up with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and he left them there. And then it says he went a little bit further just so he could be alone with God. There's a, there's, um, in the Bible before he makes the decision on his 12 disciples, it says that he prayed all night. When's the last time you had a big decision ahead of you and you prayed all night? I don't say that condemning. I'm talking to myself. That's intense. I would probably fall asleep. Maybe he fell asleep while praying. Therefore, the sleep counted as prayer. I don't know, but I look at that and I wonder what... What was he doing? What was he, like, what do, what do you have to, to dialogue? Was it a big list of people and you're going through each one and then God is speaking and you're whittling it down to 12? Is it just praying and then waiting? I don't know. But God wants us to prioritize prayer in our lives. We have to make it a priority and make time for it. Time. Characteristic number two of a person that knows God is you deeply desire to be alone with him. Jesus obsessed with being alone with the Father. Matthew 6, in Matthew chapter 6, when he gives us the, the, the Lord's Prayer, there's a statement that he makes three times. Two are right before it and one is right after. And we have to pay attention. When Jesus says something three times, pay attention. And here's the phrase, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The first time is in Matthew 6, chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. And it's talking about giving. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The second time is in Matthew 6, 5 through 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, that stand on the street corners and love to pray to be heard. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to the Father in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then he gives us the Lord's Prayer, says, hey, here's how you should pray, and then he says it one more time, and it's in regards to fasting. When you fast, do your hair, do your makeup, put on your face, don't make it look like you're all disheveled so people know that you're fasting. Do it unto the Lord, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. What you do in private matters to God. This is the reality of your relationship with him. It's not how you serve. It's not how you publicly pray. It's not what you look like and the expression that you have 
in a corporate encounter in here. It's what does it look like at home? I was talking to a guy one time who I don't know him that well, but I see him always worshiping and it's beautiful. And I asked him, I, I just felt like I was supposed to ask him, Where, do you read your Bible? And he said, no. Who you are in private is who you are. So ask the question. I want you to know God. I don't want surprises here. Ask the question. The, enemy, the enemy's primary strategy is shame, guilt, and condemnation. This is the thing. Jesus' obsession was to be alone with the Father. That was his desire. When you're walking in shame, guilt, and condemnation, you don't want to be alone with the Father. You want to be involved in religious activities. It makes you feel better, maybe encourages you. You might feel like you can, you know, now, like, let's, get, let's do a couple corporate encounters, and then I can turn my attention towards God. But that's why they, this is what the enemy always uses. It's always his agenda. It sounds, like, it sounds like this. It sounds like I'm not good enough. If people only knew what I was dealing with, the enemy whispers lies. God rejects you because you're filthy. You can't turn to God right now. It isolates you. It makes you justify doing it one more time. I did it yesterday. Like, what does it matter today? Like, I've already blown it. God's mad at me. Just do it one more time. Like, what does it matter? Shame says you're not worthy. God is mad at you. Look at what you did. Don't tell anyone. You are the only one that struggles with this. You go to mercy culture, and you experience the presence of God, and you struggle with you fill in the blank. That's what it sounds like. And it's a self-centered lie from the enemy. It's a lie because it does not represent the reality that really is. When we're in Christ Jesus, we're covered by his blood. So God literally looks at you, and he sees the purity of Jesus. Like, that's the good news. He stands and makes mediation for us. What that means is the enemy is the accuser of the brethren, so he's, he's pointing at you saying, look what he did. Look what she did. And God says, I cover them. Jesus says, I cover them. And God sees them through the purity of Jesus. I feel like the Lord's going to deal with shame and guilt and condemnation today. Characteristic number three of a person that knows God is you walk in faith and you're covered in peace. I love when you meet a person that just has peace. It's like they have it all together. It's just like, how do you, how, I met one of these people on Friday night and they own all this land and they, people retreat out to their house and just encounter the Lord. I'm like, who is this guy? What does he do? Like, his marriage must be perfect. I'm sure he has a boss. He makes tons of money, and his boss is a perfect leader. Maybe I need to, like, make some changes and go get a different job so I can, so I can be in peace. That's silly, but we think like that sometimes. Matthew chapter 6, 25. So right after the Lord's Prayer, he gives us, he goes into a huge, a huge diatribe about do not worry Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the, look at the, birds of the air, then skip down to verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. He's calling them out. He's saying, have faith in me. Like, do you know, I'm a good father. Do you not think that I'm not going to provide for you? When you look at the Lord's Prayer, the first section of it is all about God. Praise God. Worship God. God's agenda. God, I want your agenda, not your will be done. Inviting his agenda into, in, from heaven into, onto earth. And then skip down to the end of it. It's forgive me and, and help me forgive others. And then right there in the center is a little phrase. Give us today, today. That's the key word here. Give us today our daily bread. That's the part. That's where we're supposed to be with God. I mentioned this scripture on fear and anxiety and provision. A lot of Christians, their entire prayer life is focused and wrapped up around provision. And really it's wrapped up around fear and anxiety. And if you're trying to pray and have faith where there's fear and anxiety, then it's not an effective prayer and you're just in this cycle. And I feel like the Lord is calling us to just let go of that and trust him. Lay your burdens at his feet. Psalms 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. I'm not saying don't pray and ask God for things, but I feel like you don't need to focus on your anxiety and your fear. So in the middle of that passage about do not worry, at the very end of it is Matthew 6, 33 and 34. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will, and all these things will be added to you. I used to look at that scripture and think that I do the right things and the right things are going to happen to me. But it says his righteousness. So what does that mean? That means every morning I wake up, I go before the Lord, and I pray, and I come into an alignment with the heavenly reality that I, am, I wear the righteousness of Jesus because of his blood. Things will start to shift as you make that your reality. You align yourself with that perspective. And then he's going to add unto you. And then verse 34, this is important. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough cares of, of its own. Lay your, your cares and your burdens at the feet of Jesus. What does that look like practically? Like, do you literally just lay something at his feet? Like, my boss wants this project done. Oh, I'm, I laid that at Jesus' feet. I'm not doing that. No. <laughs> do, your, do your thing. That's not going to work out well. But it's coming into an awareness of this present moment that his peace is with us. Yesterday's gone. I'm not worrying about tomorrow. And he wants me to engage in his peace right now. There's been specific times in my life where everything's up in the air. I'm about to lose my marriage. I'm about to lose my family. And I'm literally just 
I'm holding on to this verse for dear life. And at least five times a day, I'm just laying at the feet of God, just waiting. God, I'm, I'm taking this. This is a burden, and I'm giving it to you. Take it from me. And just waiting on his peace to come. And if you wait, his peace will come. But we have to learn to wait on the Lord. When you're worried or when something happens, you're about to get let go, someone, something dramatic happens in your life, what's the first thing you do? Is it you go and pick up your phone and call your friends? I call my mom. I have a three-hour conversation with my best friend. <sighs> like, and you still haven't taken it to God? If you don't go to him first, you might not really believe that he's in control. And that he's a good father who wants good things for you. And I feel like the Lord is saying, why are you carrying that burden for so long? Band, I want to go ahead and invite you guys up. Anxiety, burdens, fears are meant to be released, not carried. Your fear, your worries are supposed to be a connection point between you and God, but a very, very quick connection point. The only reason you pick up that thing is to give it to him. And he wants to take it. He wants to take your burden, and he wants to give you his burden. And his burden is light, and his yoke is easy, and peace will just overcome you. And maybe your outcome doesn't look very different, but there's just this supernatural peace that surpasses understanding that just comes and, and just rests upon you in the midst of crazy circumstances. If you learn to be in this cadence with God, you'll do that over and over and over and over, and you'll be in a different place than you are right now six months from now. And the declaration of what you're doing is you're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Every time you lay it down, you say, I trust you. Put on his peace and walk. I'm going to go back to our opening text, and then I'll give you my final point. Characteristics of people that know God. So Jesus, he's about to go to the cross. And he goes to God three times and he asks him a question. I'm going to start in verse 42. He's already gone to him once. God, is there any other way that this could happen? God says, no, yet not my will be done, but yours. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't get their eyes open. So he went out a third time and prayed to God, Lord, is there any other way? Jesus is God, like he sees what is about to happen. He's God in the flesh, and he knows what he's about to go through. And he's asking God, is there another way? And the answer is no. And Jesus' response is, not my will, but your will be done. When he returned to them again, I envision him walking up to his disciples, and they're sleeping, and he kicks them, and they all wake up, and, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. 
The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Here's characteristic number four of a person that knows God. Submission to God is more important than the prayer being answered. Hebrews 5, 7. This text just has wrecked me this week. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth. Thank you. Uh, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. God could have done it. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. We know Jesus loved to pray. We don't get a lot of insight into these intimate dialogues. We get a couple of them in the New Testament of Jesus praying to the Father. And isn't it interesting that in the Garden of Gethsemane, we get to look at a prayer where someone prayed, where Jesus prayed, and his Father said no. But this scripture in Hebrews says he was heard because of his reverent submission. His prayer was heard. We've made prayer about the outcome. We've made prayer about the equation, the formula. I asked God for this. God, you give me this. I asked you, why haven't you given me this? And I've missed it. We can miss it. To Jesus, it wasn't about the outcome. It was about him. It's not about the promise. It's about him. It's not about the healing. It's about him. It's not about the money or the financial gain. It's about him. Mercy Culture, I came to tell you today that your prayer life is your connection point to God. Yes, pray. Yes, ask. Yes, seek. Petition God. Sow in prayer. Pray. He's going to answer prayers. But the foundation of this is knowing Him. If He doesn't do anything else, He's already done enough, God. You were redeemed and reconciled to him for this intimacy, to know him. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't have faith. I'm not saying back off of your prayer life. Go full throttle. But underneath the identity that you are a son and a daughter, and you can come boldly into his presence and experience him. You guys stand up. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 